for it today. So give a warm Clovis Hills welcome for Miss Kimberly McNeil. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, gosh. It's so great to be here. And I want to welcome those who are on Facebook. We didn't do that 25 years ago, but here we are now. Because now we got something new going on there. So I want to welcome those on Facebook, especially those who might have moved away and are, are interested, and in, particularly today, because of the 25 years. We're glad you are able to be with us. I um, enjoyed myself so much uh, yesterday with the women at the luncheon. It was a great time, and so I'm just so appreciative of that. And I don't know if we knew it beforehand, but then decided here today would be the 25 years. And so I'm looking around, and I can see people that I know. There is, uh, let's see. Uh, Sam is here, and um, see, like, you're sitting in your same spots. Like, this is where Jamie sat when I left five years ago. You know, like, here you are. See? <gasps> Leonard! Leonard was my neighbor, and I lived here at one time. I'm so glad to see you. Dave, if you're watching on Facebook, Leonard's here. Yeah, okay? And so, um, just so many friends, and I just feel, uh, I just feel blessed to be able to be here. Um, you know, I was 26 years old when I came to Clovis Hills for the first time, and I was just a couple years in uh, to the church, and um, you know, it was Dave Love that invited me, and uh, who was going to say no to Dave Love? None of us. None of us, right? And, um, and who can uh, look at 25 years of Clovis Hills history and not be grateful for Dave Love, right? <laughs> Honestly. Okay, he's the one who taught us the value that still stands today of generous service. He is, he is that man. But in fact, you know, um, the, you know, even though I wasn't here right in the beginning, there's a little bit of Clovis Hill's folklore that I think is mostly true that I would like to tell you. 25 years ago, a man and his wife from a place called Two Sticks decided that they would plant a church here. And I remember that he, uh, he would say they needed um, a new kind of church, a different kind of church. And, uh, and they committed themselves, and they came. And people around them made provisions and brought other churches, uh, added things in, and gave what was needed. And here it came. They gathered the people. It was time. It was going to start. They found the elementary school they were going to stay in for their first service. And then came the first day. As I understand it, they had spent weeks combing through the phone book when it was actually a paper book. And they went through the pages and they called all the people in those zip codes and said, hey, there's a new church starting in Clovis. Are you interested? And they called everybody. They got to the first day, and the fact is they didn't know if there would be a single person who was going to come. And the word is, it was a foggy day. It was kind of a day you wouldn't want to drive anywhere in Fresno Clovis. And they waited, and they waited, and then came the moment when a pair of headlights came through the fog, and it was the first person to arrive for the service. And after those headlights came another set and another set, and car after car came until the gathering was really quite large for the first service of a church. On that day, I remember 
they say, the Steinhauers came and they brought cookies. They had, they, they, I don't know why. They just thought it would be a good idea. They were not part of the original group. They came as a result of that. And they brought cookies. And everybody was so excited because it looked like this thing was actually going to work. Right? And then uh, we kept working on different things after that. I came two years in. It was portable for 12 years. We were trying to get the word out because this church was about Jesus and about open acceptance. You can find a lot of churches that are about Jesus, but not every church has the value of open acceptance that Steve Davison has taught all of us, that it is more about where you are going than where you have been. Right? So... We tried different things to get the word across. I mentioned this in the first service, and then somebody brought me one. Who remembers this? Hate church, try Clovis Hills. This was our first slogan. It seems questionable years into that. But I ain't going to lie to you. It worked right then. Because you know what? We were looking for people who hated church. We were. Because we wanted people to meet Jesus personally and not be hindered by whatever they thought church was about. And so we really tried to do things differently. In those 12 years portable trying to do things differently, let me just say, I don't know what we were thinking because uh, we tried to do creative things that would catch people's attention. We thought we could reproduce Survivor from television. I don't know if you were there when we did Survivor, but um, we thought we could make a whole drama eight weeks last. We did tribal council in the yard of the Davisons at their house. We filmed it. We got bit by mosquitoes like nobody's business. That's my recollection of that. Then we thought we would do something called New Day Cafe, which is still an email today. And we built a cafe that we put up and tear down every single week. And we did dramas in that. We did a thing called Everybody Loves Family, like Everybody Loves Raymond. And someone reminded me uh, before this service... Uh, They remember the day that someone made a cross for Easter that was too big outside the building to get inside the gym at Alta Sierra. And he said, somebody mismeasured. I said, that was me. He goes, oh, I know who it was. (laughs) Right? Liz Fields was a bag lady on many occasions, and Todd Harris was Indiana Jones swinging on in a rope. Those are the kind of things we did. Maybe not the smartest all the time, but it, but it was working. Then, one day, we decided we need to upgrade this gym that we were meeting in. We needed to do something. So we decided we need $40,000 to do this. So we put it out there. We asked people, would you give to help make this better so we could reach more people? And I remember on the day that when we knew the money had been collected and we had decided one person representing $1,000 would step on the stage and this is how we would reveal what had happened. And we hit 40 people, and we went forward to about 60 people. And the people of Clovis Hills at that time had given much more than was even needed for what was next. After that, we found that the Lord and Felly wanted us to purchase 40 acres of land. The city didn't want to give it to us, but... It was voted in our favor by one Jewish woman who turned everything around for us. Then we got this land. Then we were going to, so we needed to buy it. And I just remember 
uh, Kevin McGill filming video and Steve Davison and I out here in a fig orchard. Nothing but fig trees that really didn't bear much fruit. And we're trying to film a video convincing people we could build something on this. And it was hot that day, too. I remember that. Next, after we raised the money for that, and many of you gave your money to buy just the land part, we began to dream about what it would look like, you know, when we built something, right? We, started, we had the open door campaign. Now, I'm not sure this is not our smartest idea either, but we got a bunch of doors, regular doors, not fake doors. We didn't make them out of something lighter. We bought doors at Home Depot. We hung six of them from the ceiling and made them rotate during the service. Every week, we put them up, tore them down. Not our best idea. I don't know why it was necessary. It seemed like it was. We got six flying ones, and we got six more, and we put three on this side of that portable stage and three on this side of the stage. And we all wrote down the names of the people who we wanted to come to Jesus, people that we wanted to come to faith, that they would know how much God loved them. And we wrote their names all over these doors, and we prayed for them for months, really. And these, we kept these doors all the way till we got in this facility. And I'm telling you without a doubt, I am sure that your name, someone here, was written on that door. All those years ago, your name was on that door. And that was what had happened then. I remember more recently, before I had left, we decided we were going to do baptisms on Easter. Now, I remind you, we used it, we, and we still do, but we would teach a class, of course, on baptism. And we wanted everybody to understand what they were doing. And so we decided, was it possible we could do baptisms on the spot? Now, that's available to you today and always now. However, at the time, we just weren't sure. And so we thought, we could open up the baptism. Do you think people would get baptized on Easter if we issued the invitation? We didn't know if anybody would come. And everybody wasn't sure we should do this because they didn't take the class. We worked on this, and I just want you to know, we did not decide until Thursday of that week. I know we looked like we were planned then, but I'm telling you, we were flying by the seat of our pants most of the time. So then, we get to Easter, and we start, and we baptize a couple people, and we opened it up. And I stood right here, and Paul, who was leading music at the time, Tim playing keys, they're right here, and we're, this was, it was our idea at the beginning, and we're like, huh, huh. And next thing you know, people came down in their Easter best. And one person after another just got, and I, and I had to keep looking. And Paul's looking at me, because they couldn't really see. Are we done yet? I'm like, one more chorus. And I stood down here, and I'd look, and someone else would come, and I'd go. And I just kept doing that. I don't know how many choruses we sang, but it was one of the most exciting memories of my life. Because that is what Clovis Hills is all about. Clovis Hills is about sharing the love of God with people who thought maybe they hated church, with people who thought maybe God didn't love them, and they find out here, you know what? It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going, and God knows your name. When I look around here, you know, I know your stories. I can see so many of you. And I know what God has done in your life. And I can remember, you know, we would talk about how God changes lives. And we'd say, God wants to change your life. And they would come, and their life would be changed. And then later on, they'd come back a year later, and they'd say, um, 
I think something's wrong because there are things happening in my life I'm uncomfortable with. And then we realize we need to make sure we tell people God wants to change your life and then he's going to keep changing you to make you more like himself. But that could be uncomfortable. We had to start getting into that and telling people. And some of you went through hard times and you thought, I don't know why God is allowing this. I don't know why this has happened. And then just, I don't know why I did that that God didn't want me to do. But grace abounded every time in this church for your life because of what Jesus says in the Bible. And that is still true today. And I think the question that is in front of all of us and in front of Clovis Hills is, now that we've had these 25 years, what are the next 25 years going to look like? So I want you to look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Because how do you continue to grow in faith? So you personally, as well as um, you, indiv- you personally, as well as the church, what do you think? What do you think it says? Listen to this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life, right? He's given us everything we need. You've got to remember that. We have all received all this of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises. See, we forget the promises. We're going to get ourselves in trouble. We remember the promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. That's how you keep growing. That is how we keep Jesus in front of us. That is how the passion stays in. We keep responding to the promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness. See, that patient endurance part, we're terrible at that. We got to remember that. Godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. We have to keep loving everyone, not just those who are inside these walls, not just those who we think would now be a good fit inside the 25-year history. We got to love everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. We forget that we have been cleansed from our old sins. That starts to seep our passion out. That starts to wear us down. We have to remember what Jesus did in the beginning for us. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. That is where Pastor Sean enters the picture, right? Be the church. Be the church. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when you go back to that verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. You have to remember, God is a provider. If you go through scripture, and recently I I was teaching about um, staying strong in the end times, all right? In Pergamum, at the, one of those last letters in Pergamum, staying strong in end times, it talks about manna being waiting for us in heaven as a symbol. If you go back in the beginning of God's people with the Israelites, you remember there was this white flaky bread from heaven that would fall that was the provision for what they needed 
uh, in the wilderness of their history, he provided what they needed in that white flaky bread. Later on, they keep a symbol of that in the Ark of the Covenant to remind everybody, don't forget how God provided for you, because we tend to forget. There's also another reference in Revelation, manna, the symbol, waiting to remind you that God's provision is for you. When you get over here in John 6.32, it says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never, ever be thirsty. So when you think about who you are, if you're a believer, and here you are, this is your life. This is the full provision of my life is this. That Jesus, the bread of life, the one, the true provider, the provision, everything I need to live life right here, inside of myself, because the presence of God lives within me, this is what my life looks like. Now, this is true no matter what, because we know salvation is not based on what we do, we don't earn it, it's a gracious gift from the Lord, and if the Savior is in me, this is true. But the fact is, I don't always live like this. And maybe you understand what I'm talking about. Because I know that God has provided everything I need. But then something happens in my life and I'm like, hey, I am not seeing the provision. Like it's taking too long, whatever the crisis is, whatever I'm worried about. I'm not seeing Jesus give me what I need. So let's say I lose my job. Now, when, like when I got to Nashville, I couldn't find a job. So it felt like the same thing at the time. Couldn't find a job. So I'm like, I'm sure Jesus is going to make what I thought was going to happen come true. So I'm like calling, I'm like, this is, how, this is my experience, my experience. I'm like, okay, I know that this provision is there. And I'm seeking the Lord in this. But you know, it's taken so long. Taken so long. Maybe I should make, maybe I need to make my own plan. I need to scrounge up some other provision that I can see that's right in front of me. And so I reach down and I just start getting some other stuff off the ground. Because it's taking too long and I just, don't, I just don't see it happening. I know this is true, but I've got to get on my own now. It's taking too much time. Some, of, some people I know, my friends, you, you some of you have been divorced. You know what that's like, right? And you know God is going to help you in that time. You lose a relationship. You're divorced. You know, you seek Jesus, but you feel so alone. And you feel like you don't, you're not loved anymore. And you've lost something. And you're counting on Jesus. In the beginning, it's easier but the fact is, the more the days pass and you don't have anybody to talk with and you don't have a companion in your life anymore, you're thinking, maybe the Lord is not going to resurrect this thing. Maybe this is really over and maybe no one else is ever going to come my way, etc. And so instead of waiting on Jesus and letting Jesus use that time in your life, they, this, this right here, this is called rebound relationship. Right? And how many times I have seen it? Not one. I'm going to have two rebound relationships. And they're not the people that God has for you, right? They're not even a believer. People know they should not be dating them. This is not your next mate, but you're, you don't have the patient endurance that they mentioned in the passage. So you start thinking, I'm just taking my own action. Or you're hurt and you're wounded in your life. Something has happened. And you're counting on Jesus. He, he's going to heal that for you. 
He's going to give you comfort in that. But it's faith, and so he's not, it's not like he's right there, and you're, you're feeling like, ah, oh, something is up there. So you decide. I'm going to go over here, and you know what happens when you look for comfort like this? That's where addictions begin, because I look for something else to make me feel better, because I'm just not really sensing that tangible comfort from God, and I'm not very patient, and it doesn't seem very real, and I'm having a hard time, and so I grab onto something else. I want to change. I want to grow. I want to be who Jesus made me to be. I want to be a better person, and I'm throwing this stuff in here, but I don't seem to be changing. I don't understand why it's taking so long. And I don't understand how the Bible is directly related to the changes I'm trying to make, so I reach over here because that self-help book at Barnes & Noble is so much clearer. That formula, that five steps, that's what I really need because that's better. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but if you shift your dependence for the change outside of Jesus and you start depending on something else that is not the true provision and manna of God. Then you know what you end up with? An experience of life that has darkness in it. Even though this is still true of you. That's not how you're living. You're living like this. You're living like this. They have a prayer team here every week. When you find yourself during the week or a crisis, Something's happening, and you're not sure how to lean on Jesus for that. And you start reaching over for this, and whether you're reaching or you put it in, you need to see the prayer time team next Sunday. Maybe this is you today, and you need to see prayer time prayer team today. You need prayer. You need Jesus. You need to get your passion back. Because what happens is sometimes we start to act like we're living in this spiritual poverty arena. That the fact is, I know that God must have all I need, but I'm not sure. And we operate in this spiritual poverty because we think God is not going to give us enough. And we start supplementing with our own ideas and making it happen by ourselves. That is when the passion for Jesus starts to waver. And it can happen in the individual, and it can happen in a whole church. So the last thing I want to say to you is that, and I've never heard anybody say this, but when I was studying this, provision, knowing that Jesus is the manna and all that you need, is provision. And I thought about that. Because when I operate in a spirit of poverty, thinking God is not going to provide for everything that I need in my soul, it's hard for me to have a vision for what's next, right? It's hard for me to envision that, that God has a plan for me, that I'm going to see a change here, that this crisis is not going to last because I'm operating in a spirit of poverty. But if I'll remember that Jesus is the ultimate manna, the provision, I will have a vision. So when Clovis Hills is looking at the next 25 years of being the church, I want you to make sure you don't operate out of spirit of scarcity or poverty. I want you to remember that this church is about Jesus from the beginning. It's about Jesus today. It is going to be about Jesus. Nothing is going to change about that. Get on board. That is what this place is all about. Right? 
And you being part of this is you keeping that and checking yourself and remembering. Not only is this true, this is how we're going to live here so people can see, ah, that is what real life is about. That last verse in the second Peter where it says in 11, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I don't care if I'm in Nashville, if I go to Africa, if I end up someplace else, right here, this grand entrance into the eternal kingdom, Clovis Hills, I am going to see you there. I'm going to see you there. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this church, for all that it has meant to me personally. What it means to have been led under the leadership of this church. What it means, Lord God, for you to give men like Steve Davidson and Sean, to, to, to have them to be passionate and focused. Lord God, to know what the main thing is. Lord God, we pray for them. We pray for the leadership. We pray for the future leadership. Lord God, may the passion of Jesus reign strong here. And for us as individuals, for me, Lord, may I not just scavenger around making my own provision because it doesn't work. Lord God, give me faith. Give me patience. Give me a godliness within me that is from you. Don't let my spiritual eyes waver. Don't let me be distracted. Lord God, let us be the people who follow in the way of Jesus, fully loved, fully provided for, grace abounding. Let us be people of the light. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.